You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Redeemer's praise to the glories of my God and King. They were talking at the back of worship that on, on that title page it needs to have a good resounding LO on there uh, and it doesn't. Uh, so we need to fix that for whenever I preach that sermon series again. So this morning uh, we're finishing up our sermon series called Wesley Say What, right? We've been jumping in to some of these teachings of Mr. John Wesley, this 18th century uh, crowd-stirring troublemaker um, that we've, the, the Methodist movement evolved from, right, all those years ago, almost 300 years ago. And we've been looking at some of his sermons, uh, some of his key sermons, but also sermons that tell a story uh, about who John Wesley is and about what he believed And so far, we've looked at three of his sermons, so just to recap them really quickly, uh, we started with the almost Christian. And a lot of people look at that and go, well, how can you almost be a Christian? I mean, either you are or you aren't, right? I mean, there's a clear separation. Well, for Wesley, you can be almost a Christian. And his definition of that is somebody who has great knowledge of God or about God but it hasn't yet made its way to their heart, right? They don't have an assurance and a trust that God can and will do what God has said that he can do. And remember from Wesley's background that we've talked about, he was a rigorous studier of God's Word. He was up at 5 o'clock in the morning, which I know Matt does all the time, you know, studying for two hours before breakfast. Um, That was Wesley's way, and part of that is that's how he was raised uh, by his mother. That's what you do. Uh, But for Wesley, it wasn't until 1738, his Aldersgate conversion, that he realized that's that's not enough. It's not enough to know about God. We're called to know God. Then we talked about Wesley's idea of Christian perfection. How in the world can you be perfect in this life, in the eyes of God? And by that, he means that we are called to grow in our faith, to mature in our faith. That's the word he used for perfection. And with God, all things are possible. And so in this lifetime, he would argue that it is possible for us to reach a point of fully loving God and fully loving our neighbor. It's just unlikely that we'll stay there for very long. And then last week, we talked about the Catholic spirit, lowercase c, the Catholic spirit. Uh, These two essentials of our faith, loving God and loving neighbor, you see the theme running through these sermons. If we hold on to these two things, These are the essentials of our faith. And in these two things, we celebrate our unity, right? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we can share with the Baptists down the road or the Lutherans down that way. We all love God and we all love our neighbor. We have that in common. These things should not separate us. The things that might separate us, these other matters of religion, we should offer liberty. We should offer the freedom for people to think and let think, is Wesley's saying. It's okay that we don't agree on all these other things. That's okay. And we can still be in fellowship with one another. And then in all other things, he says, we should offer charity. We should always be seeking to be in fellowship with our neighbor, even if we completely disagree with them. 
on any given thing. So this morning we're looking at probably Wesley's most well-known sermon. It's also probably one of his most foundational sermons as far as his theology, and it gets really deep. And so I've tried to kind of avoid us wading through too much of that. But his sermon is called The Scripture Way of Salvation. And it provides for us, not surprisingly, it's Wesley, a roadmap, an order, a method by which salvation is achieved in his understanding, providing us with an order in which salvation takes place. And his text, as we've uncovered over the last three weeks, is just one verse. He doesn't feel like he needs any more than that. And for this sermon, it was Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Let us hear God's word. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as I've mentioned before in an earlier sermon, this term Methodist that we hold on to today was actually intended as an insult. It was intended by people outside of Wesley's Holy Club, this this gathering that Charles and John Wesley had with people on the inside. People from the outside looked at them and said, "Those, those Methodists. For two reasons. Number one, they looked at John and Charles Wesley in the way that they studied, getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and studying for two hours and praying all day and at 10 o'clock at night finally going to bed, right? So there was that. But the other thing, and you've heard some of this in the sermons, is his theology always has a method to it. There's always a method to the madness. There's always an order. He thinks really deeply about things. Take, for example, grace, right? We talk in the church about grace, God's amazing grace, and usually that's about where we stop, God's grace. But for Wesley, he takes that a step further, right? There's different kinds of grace. And God's grace at one stage in our life is not the same as God's grace at another stage in our life. So there's God's provenient grace, the grace that goes before us. Before we are ever aware of God, God is working in our lives. And then there's justifying grace that we'll hear about this morning, that moment in which we are offered forgiveness for our sins and reconciled to God, that we repent and we turn to God. And then there's sanctifying grace, That for the rest of our lives, the Holy Spirit is working within us, molding us into the shape and the image of Christ until we achieve full salvation. And you'll hear that this morning. So that's where this came from, those those Methodists. And it stuck. And so here we are today. Now, I don't know if any of you like to cook. Uh, Now, I'm not talking about those frozen dinners that you throw in the microwave for four minutes and and you're good, right? You go on your way. That's not cooking. Cooking is going in the kitchen, actually taking ingredients, cutting them up, you know, putting them in the bowl, mixing them with things, and baking them, right? Now, I don't know about you, but if you just went into your kitchen and you grabbed eight random things without even thinking about it, threw them in the bowl, and baked them at 350 degrees for 45 minutes, I don't know what it would taste like. Maybe you would hit the jackpot, and and it would taste great. And maybe you would take one bite and call for a pizza, right? Cooking is one of those things that if you don't think it through, maybe I need to measure some things. Maybe there's an order that I need to cook these things in. Maybe I should do this first and and then this later, right? Cooking requires some thinking and some order and some measuring, usually. There was an episode of uh, worst cooks in America. (laughs) This still cracks me up today. 
uh, they, they had a challenge. I don't watch the show very often, but we happened to catch it. And there was a challenge where they had to cook grilled cheese sandwiches. And so there was this one contestant, God bless him, um, who took a slice of cheese, threw it on the griddle, and he was done. You said grilled cheese, <laughs> there's some grilled cheese, right? And, and you just kind of look at him and go, are you, are you serious? Uh, and somebody had to go explain to him, no, there's actually, actually a little more to it than that. Uh, you might want to get some bread and, and some other things and actually make a sandwich. Oh, oh, okay, it's not, not just a grilled cheese. Now, this is also true, that's a true story, but this is also true of the way that Wesley sees salvation. It is not as simple as going to a revival, going to a prayer meeting, hearing an altar call, coming to the altar, saying a prayer, and that's it, I'm out and done. If only it were that simple. For Wesley, there's a method to it. There's an order to it. There's a process that we need to follow. There are things that we do and things that God does. There's an exchange that takes place. And then there's what happens after this moment. In his introduction to this sermon, Wesley says this, and this is great. Nothing can be more intricate, complex, and hard to understand as religion. (laughs) Yet how easy to be understood, how plain and simple is the genuine religion of Jesus Christ. See the difference? There's religion, and then there's the religion of Jesus. The end is salvation. See, there's always, we're, we're moving somewhere. The end is salvation. The means to attain it is faith. These two words, faith and salvation, are the substance of the whole Bible. Now, to understand what Wesley means by all of this, he asks three questions. Number one, what is salvation? (laughs) That's a great place to start. Because I promise you, if you were in a room of nine other people, and you threw that out there, what is salvation? I promise you, you'll get at least seven different answers. You just will. So question number two, what is faith through which we are saved? So what is salvation? What is faith? And then the third question, and this is his most important question, how are we justified by faith? So it's not what is salvation, what is faith, right? Here's the information. How does that work? What's the exchange that takes place? Remember, Wesley's going from head to heart. What does that mean? Always important. So question one, what is salvation? And as usual, Mr. Wesley begins by telling us what salvation is not. And this might surprise you. Wesley says salvation is not going to heaven or eternal happiness. Salvation is not going to paradise. Salvation is not a blessing that lies on the other side of death. That's not salvation. And Wesley goes back to the scripture that we just read, depending on your translation of it, because it says that we are saved, or we have been saved. It's already done. It's not will be. It's have been. And we're stepping into that. So for Wesley, salvation is a real and a present reality. God's provenient grace, the grace that goes before us, draws us to God and causes us to desire God more 
and more. And ultimately, for Wesley, salvation consists of two things. Justification and sanctification. And we'll explain what those mean. Justification is Wesley's term for the forgiveness of sins and our acceptance of God. These things that are only possible because of the work of Christ on the cross. The result of our repentance, our turning away from seeking to justify ourselves by good works, by doing things, by coming to church, right? We can't justify ourselves. We can only be justified by the work of Christ. Turning away from our own efforts. A moment in which God's justifying grace is accepted. This gift that God is wanting to give us, we receive by faith. And when we receive it, the immediate effects are peace that surpasses all understanding and a rejoicing with the glory of God, with unspeakable joy. There is a change that takes place. And in justification, this goes back to his Aldersgate moment, in justification we have an assurance that we are a child of God. Right? There is a change that takes place. My identity is not what it was. It's now with God. In that same moment, in the same moment that we are justified, Wesley says that sanctification begins. In that instant, we are born again of the Holy Spirit. And there is a real and relative change in which we are renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We feel the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And this love of God that we now feel compels us to love all of mankind. Love of God. I received this gift from God and now I am compelled, we hear these words in the New Testament, to go and share it with all of mankind. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are unable to be more and more dead to sin and more and more alive to God. We go on from grace to grace And we wait for full salvation. When perfect love takes up the whole capacity of our soul. So then the second question is, what is faith? (laughs) We've dealt with salvation. What is faith? What is this faith by which we are saved? And for Wesley, faith is a divine evidence, a conviction of things that cannot be seen. A conviction of the things of God that the natural eye cannot see. We see the spiritual world all around us. We see the kingdom of God. We see the eternal world piercing through the veil, as Wesley says, that hangs between time and eternity. This evidence, this conviction, is also very personal. Because for Wesley, and again, it's part of his story, he says, not only do we believe that God was in Christ, and Christ Christ died on the cross. Not only is that true, but that Christ loved me and gave himself for me. It's not just what God can do, what God has done, it's what God can and has done for me in my life that has changed me from who I was to who I now am, this new identity, a real and relative change that takes place when we accept this gift. And finally, for Wesley, is the main question. How? (laughs) How are we justified by faith? 
First, he says, faith is the only condition for justification, for the forgiveness of sins, for being reconciled to God. Faith is it. That is the only thing that can accomplish justification. Without faith, you cannot be justified. But second, we are to bear fruit worthy of repentance. So there's the repentance that happens before we are justified, turning towards God. But even after we are saved, after we are justified, repentance is still happening in our lives because we should be bearing fruit worthy of this change, this transformation that has taken place. And for Wesley, both repentance and these fruits worthy of repentance are necessary, just not in the same way that faith is. And he says that because of the example of the thief on the cross. Remember, the thief on the cross is there left to die, and he turns to Jesus, and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, because he recognizes who he is and why he's there. There is repentance. There is justification. Jesus says, you have believed, and therefore this is true. But he has no opportunity to bear fruits worthy of repentance. So it's not as necessary as faith is. Being sanctified for Wesley is also about doing good works. Now, he's careful. Good works do not make us justified with God. Good works are the result of being justified by God. We should want to do those things. We should be compelled to do those things because of this work that God has done in us. Both of these works of piety, our love of God, works of mercy, our love of neighbor, are necessary to sanctification. We cannot grow in our faith. We cannot mature in our faith without doing those things. So it's not about being justified and, woohoo, I'm done, I punched my ticket. That's, that's not it for Wesley at all. It's the beginning of a journey. The beginning. We are infants. We are born again. And now we need to grow in our faith, which requires something of us to learn about God, to, to serve our neighbor continuously for the rest of our lives as the Holy Spirit works within us. Because this ongoing repentance for Wesley is also a reminder that we cannot do any of this by ourselves. It's a reminder that we cannot think one good thought, form one good desire, or even speak one good word outside of the grace of God. It's an ongoing journey towards full salvation. And that's where our hope is at the end of our journey. So hopefully these four sermons have given you at least a glimpse into the life and the work of John Wesley, where this movement of the Methodists began so long ago. And there's always, as you can see, there's always a method to his madness. Now, I'm going to be careful to tell you, because I've, I've really enjoyed uh, this sermon series, but I'm really careful to tell you that Wesley was not Jesus. <laughs> he was not perfect. He was a human being like you and I, struggling with all these questions of faith and religion, just like you and I sometimes do. But I do think, since this movement grew out of his life, I do think we have to admire his work and his faith. And I think it would be helpful for any of us to dig in a little deeper and go, who was this person? from whom thousands of people became believers in Christ, from where our Methodist faith began. A man who rode 250,000 miles on horseback 
to preach the good news. Preaching 15 times a week sometimes. Preaching in fields, in the streets where the poor were, even preaching on his father's grave more than once. He was greeted by mobs more than once. Stones were thrown at him more than once. There's a great story of, and it's not recorded in this journal, but it's recorded elsewhere, of a man who came to one of the times that he was preaching outdoors. And he decided from what he'd heard that he didn't really care for John Wesley a whole lot, and so he lined his pockets with eggs, uh, with the intention of at some point in time taking those eggs out and throwing them at John Wesley. And this had happened before, wouldn't have been the first time. But when he got there, he actually liked what John Wesley was saying. And as I've mentioned, Wesley's sermons were sometimes two or three hours long, and so after two or three hours of, you know, being in the crowd and being bumped by people around him, and maybe it was a little warm that day, he started to smell. And so he walked up to John Wesley, and, and Wesley's first reaction was, why, why do you smell like eggs? And he had to explain that he had come with the intention of throwing eggs at him. This is the life of John Wesley. This is where it all began. A man who lived the gospel, striving every day to do what all of us are called to do. Maybe not to that extreme, I don't know. But we are all called to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. It's not about getting people to church, necessarily, although that's a good start. A couple of years before his death, in April of 1789, he wrote in his journal about his original intent for these Methodists. And he says he never wanted them to become a distinct party. He never wanted the Methodist church to be a thing, and it wasn't until after he passed away. But instead, he wanted to stir up all parties, Christians and heathens, to worship God in spirit and in truth. That was his only goal, was to help people see God in a different way, to point them towards God and encourage them in their journey of faith. And so the scripture way of salvation marks the way in which God reconciles us to himself, this gift that is offered to those of us who will turn from our own efforts and receive this free gift. I'm putting our faith in trusting God that he can and will do what he has said he will do, that he will forgive us of those times that we've fallen short, that he will reconcile us to himself, that God is always willing to receive us no matter how far we have gone down the wrong road, no matter how broken we might be, no matter how our messed upness might have reached a scale of no return. God is always willing by faith to receive us as we grow in grace and we have an assurance that God can and will do what he has said he will do and that he will do it now. It is a real and present reality. Now, God does not promise that the journey will be easy. Look at the life of John Wesley. Or if you've ever looked at people like Francis Asbury that this, this church is named after, or, or uh, Thomas Koch, who was another one that came to America and started the Methodist movement here in New York and Pennsylvania, or any other Methodist leader that got us to where we are. But yet here we are. What God does promise is that he'll continue to work in us, he'll continue to work through us, 
And you know what? He'll continue to work in spite of us too. Because it's not about us. In his final moments, in March of 1791, as Wesley experienced this full salvation, he simply said, the best of all is God is with us. Throughout a life in which he'd struggled with these matters of religion, that he'd given up great sacrifices, there was only one thing that mattered. God is with us. And his final word, farewell. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this gift that you offer to us, this gift of salvation. You call us to put our faith and our trust in you. You call us to seek this assurance that you can and will do what you have promised to us and that you will do it today if we seek it. If we turn around from our own efforts and rely on yours, the work that you have done through Christ, so that we might know of that great love that you have for us, that we might know of forgiveness for all the times that we've fallen short. Help us to grow in grace. Help us to grow closer to you until we too can say farewell and rest with you for all eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.